What's up everyone, Adam Manis here, and just wanna set up our New Year's Eve best of compilation, best of the You'll Hear It podcast from some of our favorite moments of 2021. Thank you so much, everybody, for being on this uh, this journey with us this year. It's been so much fun. We've been doing this podcast for several years now. We've passed the 800 episode mark in 2021, which is absolutely insane for, for Peter and I. So thank you very much. We hope you enjoy some of our favorite moments here in this Best Of compilation. We're gonna start things off here with a question from a listener about how long should we practice and what are we practicing? So Musa says, how long do you practice or did you practice a day? How long a day? Mm. You know, it's one of those questions that has varied as life has hit us in different stages moose i think i can speak for peter with that yes when i was younger and i know this is true when i was a young man i i really some some days uh, i didn't even put on pants i just sat at the (laughs) piano and played and played and played okay let's visualize that's not let's not but you know what i'm saying it's like when you're young you don't have responsibilities it's like you just play i mean i don't even i don't even count the hours it was just play as much as possible and then go play it at a club and then come home and play some more and then play 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 and listen 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 you know yeah and now that you know we're but peter and i both have open studio and families and schools kids in schools all this stuff right it's not as much as certainly then but i know we both try to keep a somewhat regular routine when i sit down to practice it's probably not going to be for anything less than an hour at this point Ooh, Uh, i like it dogmatic well yeah just because like if I sit down at the piano, I have a little time. You know what yeah. I mean? If I don't, it's probably because I have 15 minutes to like write a, a guided practice session for the Open Studio Pro, right? Yeah. But uh, if not, it's like I'm, I'm going to sit down for an hour. I'm going to get some good technical work in. I'm going to get some good like uh, transcribing in possibly and just work on some new ideas that I'll have. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think that, uh, you know, part of the, the, the benefit with having a little bit more experience with practice with your instrument is that you can kind of generally optimize, uh, you know, what it is and how you're practicing so that you really should be able to fit what used to take four hours into say an hour or two hours. So just in terms of like getting right to the stuff you need to work on and also being able to, being able to not necessarily skip over the more rudimentary things, but kind of review them a little bit more. So you can be a little bit more targeted with your practice. And I know for me, I don't really do any of those. I mean, occasionally I'll do those like six or eight hour days or or, or, they're almost just like you're playing all day and you kind of lose yourself in it. I think the times I do it, it's probably similar to you. It's like writing more like you're under the gun on on an arranging or composition gig or whatever. I still will stumble upon across an an idea, right? Like a new idea to me that I'll want to just take through the paces. And if yeah. I have a good four, five, six hour block, yeah. I can get lost in that for sure. Yeah. Just taking it through different situations and tunes I know and keys and all that stuff, you know. What what I am noticing is that I've, I've gotten a lot more, a, a lot better self-awareness in terms of like what my output can be at different times of the day, you know, based on how I'm feeling, how did I rest and things like that. So I generally find now that I have like three to four hours a day of like very, very deep, 
thinking or practicing or creating or just like getting something accomplished. And then there's the rest of the day. I can certainly do things, but like those hours, and it does vary a little bit. Um, it's been more regular because I've been on a more regular schedule, but I find that if I can use those times, at least two of those hours at the piano, I can get almost as much as my mind and physically I can get done in for a sure, day. Sure. Whereas when I was younger, it was like I had to spend more time to kind of get that. So then if, if I do go beyond that three to four hours, or if I use that all up at the piano, which is great, but I have to do something else in terms of like writing an email or making a phone call that's really, I need to be very focused on. I don't always have, it's almost like I've used up that day's very highest level kind of thinking and creativity. So mm. can still do some other things. So I've, I've started to look at not all the time as being equal either. So that's why it's not always just about the amount of time. It's like, can you take that? And look, some people maybe can do more than three to four hours. And there's some days that like I have two hours of that kind of level of thing. Mm. But when, once we start to get in better touch with that, I think we can look at really applying. And a lot of times people be like, I was really in a flow state. I was really super productive, uber productive, whatever, hyper productive. Like there's all different ways of looking at it, but that kind of next level um, creativity or productivity can is you, you can't guarantee that's going to be there all day long can we share you want to share a little bit i would love to share with you the, yeah. some of the coolest stuff that i've been working on like sure. some stuff so uh, and then you can maybe i'd love to hear some breakthroughs that you've had during the pandemic about like if there's any cool concepts or something that you've been practicing yeah so i've been working on this thing it's based on like uh some some you know that barry harris You know that yeah. thing, this little warm-up? Sure. So this idea of approaching uh, a, a diatonic tone from uh, a diatonic tone above it or a half step below it, right? Those are the, your two options to approach it from yeah. either a half step below our target. So if we have a C major scale, you can approach the C from a half step below or a diatonic tone above or a combination. Mm. And we've just been, we've been doing this at the Daily Guide of Practice session, but I've just been having so much fun working this through. Like in triads, using this to like do different in, uh, intervals. You know, like thirds and sixths and fifths. And just practice, like what happens is you start to, when you spend enough time just working on these beautiful little melodic devices, yeah. you, when I've been, I've played a couple of, of like trio gigs lately and my playing seems more melodic than ever. Like, even though I'm showing examples here where it seems very rigid and like I'm going like through, a robot. yeah, like a robot going through patterns, it's not ex at all how I'm working through it. And it comes out in your playing in this very organic, I feel like I'm like, Cole Porter live on the piano. Like I'm just writing <laughs> melodies. It's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Oh, that's great. Great. Yeah. Um, well, the only thing I'll throw out there, it, which is not as, as interesting and specific as that, that I have been coming back to, I haven't been practicing it constantly, but I keep coming back to it because it's sitting on my piano at home all the time is uh, Scott Joplin rags. Yeah. I've been like, especially ones that I don't know as well. Uh, or I haven't played in a while. Uh, it, it's been very interesting to me because it's such a great, it hits a, a number of different things. One kind of nostalgia for me because that was like the first jazz I played in a way. I had like a the, the rag book and when I was playing piano when I was really young, I tried to play it and I could read music, but it was just too difficult. And then I kept coming back to it. But I, that kind of fir first actually pulled me into jazz. And then it's topical here because Scott Joplin lived at, you know a couple blocks from here from Open Studio obviously before we were around mm. but you know his his persona and his music his his aura about him is always i feel like kind of 
in this neighborhood and 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 rides high above St. Louis is, is just one of the masters they came out of this area. Um, and also just great for sight reading and it's just fun stuff to play. And it's a great kind of space to be in between like New Orleans and St. Louis blues and classical and opera and jazz. It kind of, awesome. there's so much to learn in those too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's been fun. So I've been having some fun with that. That's excellent. Next up, we discuss how Herbie Hancock uses the melodic minor scale. You know how, how nerdy I like to get on this stuff. Can I just bring, can we do a little sneak preview here? of something (laughs) of something from herbie's solo here uh to kind of sneak preview what we what we might be talking about on this we don't have to get too deep on it but so we're playing eye of the hurricane here right and eye of the hurricane (laughs) here (laughs) is ed mcmahon so a a lot of we get asked a lot what what you know uh what (laughs) scale should i use on a on the on a f minor blues or on a stop stop making fun of the way i talk man come on So, so one thing that I'm noticing here as we break down what what Herbie Hancock is playing here, did you know that Herbie is using like the classical melodic minor on a lot of this tonic on an F minor blues? So in other words, he's playing an F minor blues, right? And F set, oh, check that out. Right, F minor seven. He's doing a lot of like strict F minor seven voicings. Yes. Right, with a with a dominant seven there. But he's really doing uh, in his right hand. There's a lot of this, and then this. Yeah. There's E naturals. There's E flats. There's D naturals. There's D flats. Depending on which way he's moving. Yeah. I mean, he's like a classical composer with this scale. The way he's using it, you can tell that he's steeped in all sorts of musical traditions when he's going through this minor blues. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, that and that's 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 gonna be great to to, you know, kind of highlight these things that you know a lot of times there's nothing wrong with knowing them, just as kind of from a conceptual standpoint of how they sound and how they transition to actually outline the drama of a great solo like this. Like that's almost kind of on that macro level, yeah. stepping back and like, how do you get from here to here? But then to look at these very specific techniques that he revisits and, you know, look, both of us knew that particular, all these solos, we've known these well, these are favorites of ours, Absolutely. but they're also things that we've studied and, and revisited, visited, revisited, looked at with dis- different lenses over the years. And, really diving in even deeper in preparation for this course how many more things did we find like that i mean it's almost like an endless well it's I crazy mean, it would be to do like a full harmonic or melodic analysis on this would on on every single track of these fives i mean it would be like a a, a two-year cement like two years of college coursework right. so it, it it's these are such geniuses all five people that we're discovering so it's it's fun to pick out our favorite moment yeah. here and we hope our audience uh, that 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 uh checks out the chorus, enjoys it. But yeah. I'm just blown away by, and he even does some Dorian stuff in here too. So right. he's using this melodic minor both ways. So for those of wait, you- Wait, wait, don't give away the chorus. I'm not don't give away the chorus. But I'm just saying, so <laughs> if you're confused about what I'm talking about with the melodic minor. So in jazz, a lot of times when people say melodic minor, they just mean this. Yeah, ascending, what I would say. Just, yeah, the ascending. Classical nerd in me says ascending classical. But classical, um, music, classical musicians learn the melodic minor like this. Ascending that way, descending this way. Yeah. Because this leads weight to the fifth. Yeah. This leads weight to the tonic. Yeah. That's a good exercise there, actually. Well, and chocolate chip cookies lead to vegan chocolate chip cookies <laughs> lead to weight of the tummy, of the tummy in instead the of the tonic. They lead to weight right in the middle. <laughs> I've been discovering that the last few days. This next clip is a little sample of Peter Martin's Jazz Piano Origins story. Enjoy. 
And so the first song I was going to play, first tune, and really this is my earliest recollection of jazz and what really first attracted me to playing jazz. I don't know that I knew that it was jazz. I, I wasn't, you know, the cool thing about it when you're really young and you like music and you hear it, especially in the kind of pre-internet, I wouldn't say pre-television stage because I was watching TV a lot, but my parents were pretty, I don't know, I, I would definitely watch a lot of TV, but I was never one of those like sit down in front of the TV for hours. Partly we had, we had a black and white TV until I was in high school, yeah, which was crazy. So like black and white TV is not that interesting. And it was small and it, it, it had rabbit ears cause it didn't attach to cable or anything. So uh, I definitely remember liking music and just going out and playing or whatever. But this was the first song that I really connected with. I think it really was the impetus for my, my original love of jazz. So here you go. Heard of it, Adam? Oh, once or twice. <laughs> and there was a movie that came out, uh, I think called The Entertainer, when I was maybe The Sting, wasn't it? Oh, The Sting, that exactly. Was it, yeah. And I don't even think I saw it because it was probably I was too young. To I've see never it. seen it either, either. But all of my aunts would always yeah. say, "Play The Sting." Yeah, and they <laughs> meant The Entertainer. <laughs> they meant The Entertainer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I heard this. I remember my mom had a 1975 Datsun Blue Wagon. And with an eight-track player in it, she bought it brand new, and she they, it came with like hits of years gone by or something. It was just random songs, but the entertainer was on there because that was big from the movie, I guess that year or whatever. So I don't know. I was hearing that, and I was like, wow, I love I love the way that sounds. This recording I just played is actually from a piano roll that of Scott Joplin actually playing. A lot of people don't know that that exists. He recorded on the roll. Of course, there's no dynamics or anything, but the time and everything is the way that he played it. That's awesome. So next up, um, any questions so far? From no, the I mean, I okay. feel like that's, that, that is very common to my story too. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm putting my playlist together here of, of my origin story, which will be part two. Yes. There's also some Scott. Well, you're doing that while we're doing no, this? No, 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 no. Right, I'm multitasking. Well, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I think it's a very common thing, especially yeah. for pianists, especially if you've gotten into jazz. It's, it's almost impossible to ignore how important ragtime is to the development yes. of our instrument, not just for jazz, but oh, for yeah. any pianist. Absolutely. I mean, the, the branches that came off of what that genius did is yes. incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so... The next thing that I remember kind of consciously hearing and being like, oh, wow, I, I want to do that. I want to hear that. I, I, I love that. You know, it's like you take a take a bite of peanut butter and jelly or something like, OK, I like this. You know, you're a kid, but you just you attach in a very visceral way uh, was a record that my dad had. Um, but this cut, for some reason, just really did it for me. <laughs> Willow Weep for me? Willow Weep for me. Art yeah. Tatum, yeah. Art Tatum, yeah. live. Piano starts here. And the whole record's great. I mean, uh, but I remember being like, I wasn't thinking about improvising, I was playing. I was playing piano a lot, like classical stuff. But when he, I remember when he goes into the bridge here in a second, that was my first kind of like, whoa, swing. He's already swinging here. Um. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I think that was just like the first time I really. It's funny because it's not so much the incredible technique and everything, which is amazing on here, but this is not like the flashiest Art Tatum by far of of many different things. But I think it was just that groove and that feel. And I love the way he played the instrument, and I was just like, wow. That's, it's an amazing arrangement. Yeah. It's an amazing arrangement. That's yeah. great, man. Well, I mean, to have Art Tatum as an early influence must be. So how old were you when you were listening to that around the house? I mean, I was. my dad listened to that record a lot. He loved that record. Um, so, But I was probably like... 11 or 12 when I really was like, wait, I, wa I want to maybe listen to it, you know? Yeah. And now a bit of my jazz piano origin story. And so the first records I got were actually Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans' Verve Jazz Masters. Yes. Do you remember these compilations oh, from the absolutely. 90s? With that horrible logo. I mean, the. I got it queued yeah. up right here. <laughs> but it introduced me to this. No, man. So, you know, at this point, like, I'm, again, this was all happening a little bit further down the line than I think it might have been for you, but I was probably 14 or 15 when yeah. I first got these records. Yeah. And again, I heard this and I was like, I, I want to feel like that for the rest of my life. Mm. And then this next one I heard and I thought, well, how does, how does this work? Mm. I'll, I'll never this is Bill Evans Israel and again this is from Explorations but I just had it on a compilation of Verve Jazzmasters Company yeah. and I remember having the CD going in my dad's car yeah. and asking him like what is happening what is the drummer doing why are they doing that Yeah, because like, everything else is like Right. He was like, I don't know. Put Black Cow back on. Well, no, no, no. We, we, it was funny because he didn't really, he didn't know. And really, he, I was like, what is the bass player doing? Are they reading this? Is that is the piano yeah. improvising? Right, right. I had so many questions. Yeah. And he, and there was no internet for him to be like, how does jazz work? There was no open My studio. My son wants it, right. You know? So he was like, I think, he's like, I think they're all improvising. And I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, I think they're all, he's like, I think, he was actually pretty spot on. He's like, I think there's a structure. Yeah. And there's a, there's a tune and then they're all each player is improvising their own thing to it right, right. and i was like that's amazing yeah, you know, I, yeah i was just mind blown and like lo and behold uh lester manis there shout out to, to <laughs> shout out to dads too that's right you know, mom that's and dads right. for for helping along the way so that was really when i first got into like that was and well then, shout out to moms for doing everything else except what we're talking exactly. about here. <laughs> we're like yeah our dads our moms are listening right now seething they're like oh we literally this was one percent of your yeah, upbringing i drove him to those piano lessons and <laughs> Every damn day. Right. I the drove that to Union, Missouri. That's right. The dads were, like, our dads were passed out drinking beer while the moms did everything. And he's like, I think they're just making it up as they go along. Every two and a half years, they would, like, drive us somewhere and, like, play a track. That's our memories of our dads. Totally. <laughs> but I'll never forget. So so that was kind of, like, the music that was, like, you should listen to this. Like, a lot yeah. of shoulds when you're that age. But yeah. I'll never forget. The first thing I, I heard and then I went out and got on my own of Can I just I just want to ask you one thing sure. about that Bill Evans because hearing that again, you know, I wonder for you and for the ones I picked and for a lot of people if the like the way that track starts. I mean, there's so many we we could list a hundred Bill Evans tracks that of his albums and what things that he played on where he did amazing. I mean, like he was very consistent, like playing at a high level. Absolutely, explore. I mean, but this record, the way that track starts, like and the sound of it and all the instrument, it is so compelling. It really is. You know, I mean, it's it's like it's arresting. I mean, it's just like whoa, and like 
to your point of like, I want to figure out how to do that. What's going on? How are they doing that? I think these certain tracks, there are certain ones that that pull you in even more and become part of that sort of legendary origin story. Well, and I think it's uh, thank God that I got you know the the fir- the two albums that I got. The first track on the the one compilation is Night Train. The first track on the other is Israel because yeah. like they both have such heavy vibes. Yeah, where the vibe is very approachable actually. Like yeah. even though for a fourteen year old this seems heavy. has that teenage angst about it, does, it a little yeah. bit like you're like oh, he seems sad that was like, like that was like I, Soundgarden 1959 it is know? a little sound <laughs> like but it has a it has yeah. that sort of like vibe and and when you're when I was at the time in the process of like I'm just reading you know my jazz band's charts and and trying to figure this out when you're trying to figure out the music just by listening to it and you're like okay that I don't I don't know what is happening and that is very exciting yeah you know what I mean because also I don't know about you at the time I'm way cockier than I should be oh yeah I feel like I'm the greatest gift to music that's ever been because I'm 14 I'm 15 that's like, right I, I'm like damn right, right. like I, I also I have chops fairly young you know what I mean yeah. like like the chops like I spent time trying right. to play with some and pop music stuff you can kind of play because like you're figuring it. out stuff on the radio and I'm, you're like <laughs> I'm like hitting Brian at everything I do like figuring it out and all the girls right. are like what that's right you know it's right. great but then this comes and I'm like I have no idea what's happening here. In this episode, Peter and I discuss our practice routines. But that's not what we're talking about today, is it? Are we here to talk about... What are we here to talk about? I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game. (laughs) Not a game. Not a game. Not a a soup. We're talking about (laughs) practice. Yeah, that's right. So, yes, we're talking about a practice, specifically a practice routine and how to organize your practice routine. And this was actually a request. I just threw out a little thing on Twitter. You know about Twitter? Twitter? I know yes. about Twitter, but I don't know about Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter is a is new that, thing I've developed. The British Twitter? What yeah, is that? British. Yeah. Britta. It's, um, no, I just said, you know, and look, hit me Twitter. up. Twitter. Yeah. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. I'm from uh, Roxbury. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Lincolnshire. Apolo- Apolo- Lincolnshire. Apologies. I'm to, from Worcestershire. <laughs> oh, many apologies to our UK listeners. <laughs> I'm from Worcestershire, where sauces are available. No, so this, I just threw it out on Twitter that um, we're doing some podcasts today, as we do. And if you have any requests. Hey, when's and, that going to start? Right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they said, can you talk about, can you and Adam, because they were added me. I'm at I am Peter Martin if you want to hit me up on I'm Twitter. I'm at nothing right now. Yeah, we're going to get you on Twitter, man. Don't I've be scared. Been, I was on Twitter. I didn't You're on enjoy TikTok. It. You're on all that other stuff, aren't Not you? Really. I didn't, I didn't, Not really. Not really. No, not quite. Well, um... Anyway, so somebody, and I apologize for forgetting who it was now, uh, I got a couple of nice requests, but this one really jumped out to me, how to organize your practice routine, because we love talking about practice. We do. And I think both of us probably, not to speak for you, but I would just say for myself, I'm very routine oriented, and then over the last year and a half or so, have become even more routine oriented, being home more during the pandemic, but actually enjoying it and really been thinking about it, and we're talking about it all the time amongst ourselves like different routines and you know how we can use them to help our own development with music and other things with our children um, and with our students. And it's a really exciting thing for us because as we start to organize these things, I do think it's one of the most helpful uh, areas we can you know, impart upon our students and listeners. Totally. I find a routine to be crucial, just crucial for yeah. my entire life actually, yeah. for, for my yeah. whole day. I mean, what do we do on Mondays? 
we do podcasting. That's right. Every Monday. That's right. We wouldn't do it if we didn't have a routine. That's it right. It would never get done. If we just That's like, right. hey, let's 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 text this week and maybe do a podcast. Right. It would never happen. And right now we're like we're sort of gliding over into dinner time, but we're a little bit late starting, but we're still doing this because we have a routine. That's right. We got to. We it put done. the roux. <laughs> Just like with a gumbo needs roux, we the put soup, the yeah. we put the roux in the teen. Okay, put the roux in the teen. <laughs> right. All right. So let's talk about this. How to organize your practice routine? Okay. Yep. Can I throw Can I throw one idea out first? Do it. Okay. Make it routine. That seems obvious in the name. <laughs> well, it is. But what does routine mean actually? It means regular. It, it means, means regular. Yeah. But like a regular sequence of events. It's like a pattern. Right. It's like a thing. A pattern is something that you get going, and then it sounds it, it sounds or feels normal, just like when in your playing. If you start a pattern, then you change it or whatever. And so, having a regular sequence of events that occur, and, and I'm going to recommend specifically the beginning of your practice routine. Having that routine built yeah. in, yeah, yeah. it's so important because it gets you into it. It gets you over that hump of like, oh, what am I going to practice? Oh, I'm confused. Do I want to do this? Like, you know, dis, uh, decision making, indecision. And, you know, confusion and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes a routine is just like that's what you do. And if you think about other parts of your life, like you said, if you come downstairs and your routine is to make eggs or make a salad, and especially if it's like a healthy routine, that's just sort of what you do. It's not difficult anymore because that's what your routine is. Totally. And then you know what it does? It creates a bit of a psychological transition time, right? Yes. Where you can go from the stress and the lists of endless things that we have to do things that are bothering us or people that yes. are bothering us. And we can then just sit down and be with what we want to be with at that time, which is the music. For me, my practice routine, especially the last couple of months, starts with uh, silence, stillness, actually. Sit, like I'll sit down at the piano and I'll, and this has come from, from watching Fred Hirsch's amazing course here on a Studio Thoughts and Experiments. I'll sit down at the piano and I'll p position my, myself in a comfortable and solid way, my posture. And you'll start doing this, noodling? No noodles. No, no, no. noodles, no. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, a little shoegaze noodles. <laughs> Shootles. <laughs> Shootles. No, what I'll do it's is... a new breakfast cereal yeah. from General Mills. <laughs> Shootles. <laughs> now, would that be something you might Definitely. be interested in? Yes. Uh, no, I'll sit down and you know what? So I'll do, uh, I'll just do a brief like 10 seconds of silence. I'll take a couple, yeah. like, I mean, it's like what you would do in a meditation practice too, where just the first couple of breaths are nice and deep and long and 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 forced like it's intentional yeah. just like setting an intention for your practice a little bit and just being still for a few moments yeah. right just not doing something for just a couple of moments and then and that's I'm, the first that's like the num that's the first part of your routine that's the first part of routine oh, so great and then i come out of that and maybe i'll start with some scale work or something technical but i have that little buffer that's right so where i'm not doing anything yeah and finally Peter talks about making mistakes and how to deal with mistakes. I mean, to be honest, like I enjoy finding out, like solving the challenge of how I'm going to profit from my mistakes. Like, how am I going to get better? What am I going to learn from them? That does not mean that I try to make mistakes. It does not mean that I try to be ill-prepared so that I'm going to make mistakes so that I can grow. But it does mean that I lean into challenging myself and what I'm going to do, be it in a solo or, or maybe to perform something that I'm not a hundred percent under my, like, I don't feel like I have to be a hundred percent prepared. I do want to be like 97% prepared though, yeah, yeah, but yeah. 
but like put myself into situations. I'm open to putting myself into situations where there's probably going to be some mistakes, not catastrophic mistakes. But yeah. I really, I really embrace this idea that as artists, we being an artist is very different than being a neurosurgeon, in that our mistakes, like a small percentage mistake, is not going to kill somebody. It's not going to, and so like, but the the beautiful things that can happen when we are open to going for things that may cause some quote unquote mistakes, but also might cause some beauty or ultimately the, the ability for our story story and our song to, to make it out into the world and hopefully be pleasurable and edifying to some listeners that that risk is worth taking. Now, you know, a neurosurgeon, you know, doing the most precise of, of brain surgery doesn't have that ability. So it's a very different mindset. But I feel like jazz musicians and just musicians in general, like we too many times take on this, that same kind of neurosurgeon mentality of like, we have to be these precision machines. And the closer that you get to that, the better. And really, you know, the, the, the great jazz musicians that I admire didn't play like that. And it's very easy to be like, John Coltrane didn't make mistakes. He was perfect. And from this, from the standpoint of like, I can't point to something and say like, oh, look at that horrible mistake. As in, the mistake is that it sounded bad or it sounded ugly or he's playing a wrong note or whatever. Well, I can point out where he's playing a wrong note, uh, you yeah. know. And but it's not because he's coming from a place of like beauty and inclusion and 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 really trying to make it over that mountaintop to that next mountain. And, you know, it's that spirit of adventure and all those different things that that mistake becomes this thing of beauty. You know, it's like looking in nature. Totally. It's like there's some mistakes. There's some three-legged sheep and some weird stuff out there. But, you know, it's it's all beautiful. And the creator created it and, and all this kind of good stuff. So I think the more we can kind of embrace that. And so, like, that's, you know, my my approach to mistakes has evolved over the years more to try to embrace that. Now, it's still hard. Like, you know, you're playing in a situation and if your mistakes makes you feel like you didn't weren't able to put your best foot forwards, like if they're debilitating to the point, that's hard to deal with. And I think that's still the hardest thing for me. And that usually comes out of like the kind of mistakes that were due to lack of preparation or lack of adequate preparation. And I try to avoid being in those situations, but it's inevitable it's going to happen as a professional musician, especially as you start to work more and have some more success, you're put in more high pressure situations, more situations that you may not have the optimal amount of time just due to life and family and all these things to be able to prepare. So you've got to try to, you know, just pull yourself up quickly when those mistakes come and get to the good stuff, not to cover Absolutely. up the mistakes, but to mitigate them. 